In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran from 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this episode is my super friend, Michael Bailey. Hi, Michael. Hey, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. You know, I always enjoy talking to you. Oh, yeah. uh, and aside from that, we this is an amazing factoid that I've learned about you, <laughs> is that you, before this episode, had never read a Super Friends comic. And I don't know how that's possible because you've read 40 gajillion comics. How have you not? And, and this is a comic with Superman in it. How is this possible? So uh, I was born in 76. Uh, and, and I, and I tell this joke all the time and he thinks it's funny. So I'll tell it again. I'm not Chris Franklin. I was not born with a comic in my hand. <laughs> uh, it seemed, I think he had like a long box in the womb with him. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but, uh, despite having the super, the super friends were omnipresent in my youth. That's how I was introduced to the wider DC universe, but I wasn't into comics until like 1987. And by that time, the super friends series was long dead. Right. And this has not been something that ever popped up on my radar. And years ago, they released a trade, because I know they did a showcase, but I think they did a trade before that, which I bought and then just put on the shelf. I was like, I'll read that later. <laughs> and then when I went through a purge, I was seeing on eBay how that trade was going for stupid money for some reason <laughs> at that time. So I'm like, well, I haven't read it yet. So, so this is actually, yes, my first time sitting down and reading uh, a straight-up ENB uh, Super Friends story. So that, that's one of the reasons why I kind of raised my hand, because I'm like, okay, this will cross that off the list, basically. Oh, that's amazing. So, th- I mean, I, didn't, I just didn't think that there were any Superman stories around a certain period of time that you haven't read. I mean, well, I, I understand it, that you came later, but I just figured that the 70s, at some point, you just would have read every Superman comic there, there was to read. Um, I'm actually going through my, uh, pre-crisis stuff right now that I haven't read, uh, because that is, that's a giant blind spot for me. And it's been a lot of fun, but I haven't, uh, I don't, uh, the ones that I'm reading right now are ones that I physically own. And since I've never bought any of these, um, I just, uh, haven't gotten around this. This will be like down the road, but again, that's another reason why I'm like, okay, one, it gets me a chance to come on and hang out with Rob for an hour. Thank or you. less. Uh, and <laughs> two, it's just fun because um, I don't know if you watched The Crisis. I saw the one episode which features a explicit Super Friends reference, yes. And and when that happened, it was like a, you know, like how usually it's under terrible circumstances, but you know how people like have repressed childhood memories? <laughs> yeah. 
I when I heard the music, mm-hmm. it's like something activated in my head. Because because there were moments during Crisis where I was flipping out, like you sure. know all the Superman stuff. I was just really happy with, and there's a there's a cameo uh, in the fourth part that I didn't think was going to happen. So that was just surprising. But when they started when they said the words super friends and they've said it on an episode of Supergirl since then. And when they started playing that theme, I was just like, I was sitting there beating my fists on my legs <laughs> and like, like I'm five years old again. My wife really wishes she wasn't feeling well that night or she would have filmed it and the world would have seen it. But I just didn't realize until that moment, how much I loved the super friends as a property. So this is just really exciting for me. Oh, it was it was. I watched the, that that one episode on everyone's recommendation because everybody. I got the minute it aired, I got flooded with messages. People, saying, you really <laughs> need to watch this one episode. Like, okay, all right, I'll watch. So, yes, it was quite exciting to hear that music and then the Gleek reference, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> funny. So, even yeah. though Wonder Dog's better, I, I still like Gleek. I, I I agree with that. So okay, so so this comic that we're about to talk about, which is Super Friends number three, is this the only Super Friends comic you have read to this point? You just read to this, this point. Yes, this, okay. is, this right. is it. Interesting. All right. Well, I can't, I'm dying to find out what you thought of this. But okay. So uh, the story is called The Cosmic Hitman. It is by E. Nelson Birdwell. Ramona Freyden making her debut on this series, along with anchor Bob Smith and story editor Denny O'Neill. It was on sale November 18th, 1976. Now, before we get to the plot, I want to ask you, Michael, what did you think of the cover? Because you've got this giant guy with this uh, sort of antenna head and he's purple and uh, orange costume punching – Superman having already knocked out Wonder Woman and Aquaman, and then you've got Marvin and Wendy saying, uh, "It's uh, now it's up to us to beat him." What do you think of it as a, as an image? Uh, one, I love the "It's up to us to beat him" when Superman is getting knocked out. Uh, <laughs> it's confident. Uh, I was about to say the confidence of youth. My my second thought was. As a dog person, I really want Wonder Dog to get out of the way because I <laughs> yeah. don't want to see Wonder Dog getting hurt. Uh, and, and it's just he's there. Is, you've, you've talked about this in the past on other shows that there's sometimes something's funny and then you keep doing it. and It's not funny and you keep doing it again. <laughs> right. and It's funny again. The Cosmic Hitman is goofy than annoyingly goofy and then cool goofy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's it, it's it, it's like you go through like the five stages of grief with him um <laughs> uh, the white background i don't know if i would have wanted like a cityscape or something in the background but the white background i mean it, it makes the colors pop but i'm yes. not exactly in love with it i uh, actually kind of like it just because it is unique i do like that every so often you just kind of get an unreality but i see what you're saying i mean it, it would maybe have been better to have a in some sort of context, but, but yeah, it certainly does make the colors pop. And one thing I, I had to notice, and I've mentioned this in the two previous episodes is that on the covers, Aquaman is always bringing up the rear. Uh, he's always just, his head is always just sort of poking out from somewhere because of course you got like nine characters to draw. Uh, and it's hard, but here Aquaman is on the cover and there is no Batman and Robin. And I mm-hmm. have to think that's because it's drawn by Ramona Frayden, <laughs> who of course had a history with Aquaman. So she was like, well, if I have to draw some, some of the unconscious super friends, I'm going to draw the guy I like, which is Aquaman. Yeah. I, I also love just on a nostalgia level that DC TV comic oh, logo. I love that thing. Like, like this is DC, um, this, as I found out on Facebook today, February 2nd, 1976, was the day Jeanette Kahn uh, joined DC Comics oh, wow. as an okay. employee. 
Uh, Paul Levitz was talking about that. And if you look at DC in 1976, uh, you know, just go over to Mike's Amazing World, pull up the newsstand. You notice almost immediately after she gets on, there's like this sea change at DC. The, the covers start getting more dynamic and they start doing stuff like this because Super Friends have been on like three years by this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So why not do a comic based on it? And I just got to think that because she was, and maybe it wasn't her, but, and this was just always in the pipeline, but Jeanette Kahn came from outside of comics. Right. So I think she wanted to capitalize on everything. And if you could pull a kid who's watching the super friends on Saturday mornings, uh, or as I did like every day, uh, sometimes twice, that if they're at the newsstand and they see, ooh, a DC TV thing, and it's the Super Friends, and I watch the Super Friends, you get them to get this, and it has enough hints about the DC, larger DC universe, it's like, well, I want to check out more of this, so... Yeah, for better or worse, she recognized that these characters were globally recognized icons and mm-hmm. saw that they could be marketed outside of the comic books to that end. So, yeah, she really did transform the company in a, in a lot of ways. And, I, yeah, I love that DC TV logo. I just look at it. I'm like, I mean, even though Aquaman's not in it, I still love it because it's just so cool of seeing the Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman flying out of the TV screen. It's just really – I wish – you know, I, I almost wish that when DC would do, like, their TV tie-in comics nowadays, they would just put that on there. Like, you know, like do, like, an arrow – first comic a dc tv comic or something it would be so cool so but uh, anyway yes this is the uh, the cosmic hitman as i said it was on november 18th 1976 our story opens with wonder woman and aquaman battling a villain called spectrum once the amazing amazon captures him using her lasso he suddenly disappears meanwhile batman robin and superman engage with another villain known as the anti-man he also disappears when captured these two villains then appear in the lab of a Dr. Indrum, along with dozens of other captured villains. Indrum's plan is to disintegrate their atoms and have them reformed into one robotic creature known as the World Beater. Despite the group of Mort's protests, Dr. Indrum does what he says and disintegrates the villains and reforms them into the World Beater. He then gives World Beater a test to go to Earth and defeat all the heroes there. World Beater uses a false signal to gather the JLA at their satellite HQ, and he enters through the teleporter. He claims to have beaten the following heroes, the Freedom Fighters, Plastic Man, most of the Titans, the Blackhawks. As World Beater is defeating Green Arrow, Hawkman, Green Lantern, Flash, Elongated Man, and Black Canary, the Atom signals to the Super Friends and warns them not to come up to the satellite. After they learn how GL was defeated, they realize this being has the powers of the villains they just fought. Atom is also defeated, and before long, World Beater is at the Hall of Justice. The Super Friends try and stop him, with Wonder Woman telling Wendy and Marvin to get away because her mother, Hippolyta, had a vision that they were the only ones able to stop this threat, which we saw in issue number two. So they go to formulate a plan as World Beater freezes Aquaman into an ice block, shocks the dynamic duo, stops Superman with a blast of Anti-Man's power, and turns a Wonder Woman's lasso against her. At this time, Wonder Dog is a decoy, and he trips up World Beater. Then Wendy and Marvin arrive in suits of armor borrowed from the Super Friends trophy room. World Beater, thinking they are yet more superheroes, uses Spectrum's X-rays to scan the armor. Wendy and Marvin bet that the villain's powers meant that he had also had their weaknesses, which included Anti-Man's vulnerability to X-rays, and it knocks the World Beater out. The kids then revive the Super Friends and the other heroes. Superman says medals are not enough to express gratitude for Wendy and Marvin saving the Earth. Marvin said Wonder Dog would settle for a T-bone steak. So... (laughs) (laughs) Now this word from Westinghouse. So, uh, all right. So, so Michael, what did you think of this story? I loved it. 
I, I, I unironically just thought it was this amazing melding of something aimed at a very young audience while still having some very disturbing things in it. I mean, we're introduced to like three villains at the beginning of the story and then they're killed, literally <laughs> killed straight up. It said on page that he's killed them to do. I, I, I get it. that This is like a, a bad guy version of a Mazo. Right. Right. So instead of having all the powers of the justice league, he has the powers of all these fantastically awesome villains. Uh, I, no, I'm serious about that. Like any one of these guys could, could like be, a B-lister in Flash's or Green Lantern's rogues gallery. Uh, but I just, I loved the structure of it. I liked that he, the, the world beater actually was a legitimate threat. Like, and I, and I love that he's just like, well, I just went out and took out the freedom fighters, the teen Titans and the Blackhawks. And I'm like, wow, you are really bringing in a lot of the DC universe into this. You know, so pretty well. Yeah. Like, like, as a kid, you would see those names. Uh, this is how I was when I was first starting to read comics. And suddenly I would want to know everything about them. Like, who are the Freedom Fighters? Oh, That's got to yeah. be cool. You know, the Teen Titans are, you know, I, I think even by this point uh, were a, you know, a known quantity. And But the Blackhawks may have been, I mean, we've talked about Blackhawks in the past. Oh, yeah, yeah. They may have been another one of those teams where it's like, man, what are the Blackhawks? And then you find out they're a bunch of World War II fighter pilots. And and then you just get deeper and deeper. Uh, Blackhawks also the only comic book my father will ever talk about. Um, Interesting. Okay. Having having read as a kid, he he oh, said okay. every time comics come up in conversations, which doesn't happen often, as you might imagine, uh, he's just like, yeah, I read Blackhawks as a kid. And <laughs> that that's it. But no, the the fact that Wendy and Marvin kind of save the day at the end is just a conceit of this is the Super Friends. But they actually make it like a legitimate thing. Like it's not totally contrived that that they win at the end, that they're the ones that come out on top. Uh, so I just I was utterly charmed by this thing from beginning to end. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I love the uh, the I love the splash page, the opening splash. Mm-hmm. Ramona Fraiden. I mean, everyone knows already how I feel about Ramona Fraiden. She's one of my favorite artists of all time. I just love the combination of. The cartooniness, but yet it doesn't dip too far. It's got just enough kind of action heaviness to it that it works. Uh, but the splash page of the Cosmic Hitman saying, ha, I've beaten every superhero on Earth. Now a boy and a girl and a dog hope to defeat the Cosmic Hitman. I love that he works the title of the story into his word balloon. But you've got the logo of the Super Friends, and you have the five Super Friends draped unconscious mm-hmm. over the lettering, which is such a wonderfully – powerful kind of image i just love it and then i don't know if you noticed this mike but if you you see on the the logo i don't know if you have the the splash page in front of you yeah but you've, you've got them you've got the cosmic hitman right so you have batman and robin dangling from their capes off the lettering and you've got aquaman there wonder woman and superman but in the d yes. is a foot sticking out like, whose <laughs> foot is that i don't know who that's supposed to be oh my god i just i saw it like right before you said it and i'm like that's Wow, it's a white boot too. I feel bad for 
I really feel bad for Batman and Robin in this. Like, Aquaman looks uncomfortable, but at least he's not choking to death. <laughs> yeah, Batman and Robin are hanging for their necks, for their capes. So, yeah, I don't know who that foot is. I don't, maybe it's, she, just, she just got a little crazy with it or something. It's very Mad Magazine in some ways. Uh, but it's just – it's a very, very dynamic image. And, I mean, she just – I mean, she's just such a great – uh, addition to the series and i love the design of the world beater because as you said it's goofy and then it's really silly and then it kind of goes back to being cool again because he has this large antenna uh he's got like an internet router on his head and you know he gets he's all the these, channels yeah he gets all the <laughs> channel he gets netflix he gets hulu he gets everything um he looks a little bit like a frankenstein like a robot frankenstein kind of thing he has like a metal jaw and uh the the uh magenta and or not magenta but like a purple and orange outfit with this big belt i mean he's it's really goofy looking but he's but i love the heft of him i love that the way she draws him that he looks like he's about nine feet tall mm-hmm. and about 500 pounds like he just he just is impo- even though he's goofy looking he's imposing by his sheer heft which i really like and of course this issue by introducing all these new villains you're giving ramona freighton a chance to do all these designs and so you've got this uh, this initial guy that Aquaman and Wonder Woman are taking on, Spectrum, and he has kind of this rainbow suit on, and he has like I guess I don't know if that's supposed to be hair on the top yeah. of his head or something. I don't really know, uh, but he's kind of you know silly looking. And then you get to the Anti Man, who is just black and white uh, and looks really cool. Like I really like Anti Man. I'll mention him later on in the show, but I like he looks really cool and he takes on Superman and he gets a sock to the jaw from. Superman and uh, from Superman and Batman. And then later on, we see all of these villains in Dr. Indrum's lab. And we see their names are like the Traveler, Powerhouse, Thunderhead, Sub-Zero, Bombshell, Fire Lord, Ultralight. And I have to say, first of all, in that group shot, there's one guy way off to the left who just looks like a French maitre d' at like a restaurant. I don't know who that's <laughs> supposed to be. I don't know the gun. I can't tell by the names who that is supposed to be. But there's the moment where Dr. Indrum says – I'm going to disintegrate you all and turn you into the world beater, right? You're like, oh, that's pretty yeah. pretty grim. He's going to literally destroy these people. And one of the villains, I think the ice guy, I guess that's supposed to be Sub-Zero, says uh, when, when Indrum explains his plan, he says, we can't beat those super lawmen. And I thought, you're really missing the forest for the trees, buddy. You're about to be disintegrated. It doesn't matter about the super friends. You yourself <laughs> are about to be destroyed. He's worried about what happens afterwards. And we literally see a window of three of them getting destroyed into atoms. And I'm like, isn't this supposed to be a comic for we little kids? Yeah, that it's it's cartoony enough that it doesn't like it, it's not like today where you know like one of them would have a sword thrust through their back. Right, right. Uh, I think that's called pulling a Jeff Johns. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure about that. But yeah, them all getting destroyed. I was just like, I guess I just would have ignored this as a kid. You know, like you would have just it happened so fast. You probably would have just not really thought about it. But yeah, he. It's like he killed a guy, mm-hmm. killed a bunch of guys to create his Frankenstein monster who has a, a fantastic entrance. Oh, he smashes through the machine. I live. I am the yes. world beater. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, you know, he's, 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 you know, I get, what is it? The, the proper way to introduce yourself in business. You know, he's, he's got a, he's got a greeting and he's got a purpose. He so does. He's, He's there. To, I want to see this guy's business cards. Oh yeah, it was just his world beater on it. I'm sure. Yeah. No, no email, <laughs> nothing. Uh, I, I love the way he talks too, because Indrum says a perfect name for you will beat the superheroes of many worlds, and he just goes, "Good. Where do I start?" 
And Indrum's like, uh, you're going to go to the planet with the most superheroes. And what planet is that? Go to Earth. Like, he just is his very – he talks kind of like a like – a, like a like a goon or something. Like he's just very straightforward. And really, I like I like that he's just sort of he's just there to destroy everybody. That's that's his plan. Uh, and then, like I said, as you talk about when he lands in the JLA satellite, he already talks about I've immobilized most of the heroes of Earth already. And they don't explain how he got through the teleporter. I don't think like he just appears in it, um, which seems like a weird. Like a, a weird thing for ENB to skip because he was so obsessed with the minutia. Mm. But I mean, mm-hmm. like, I mean, the only way you can activate a jelly transporter, as anyone knows, is if you are a member of the Justice League. That they're they're coded, so only members can be used. In fact, there was an issue of JLA where they they had a joke about that, where Green Arrow quits the JLA and then he hops into the transporter and it won't work. And they're like, "You just quit, Garner. You're not a member anymore." <laughs> so I'm not sure how World Beater manages to get into the satellite, but it's okay. It, it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, because then we get a really cool sequence of him just beating the living crap out of the Justice League. <laughs> yeah, and that was a, uh, the satellite being part of this was an interesting. You talked about it in the first couple of episodes how Bridwell incorporated the larger DC universe and the Super Friends together in a way that I think is really organic. So it's a little weird because when I think Super Friends, I think Super Friends. I don't think DC universe as a whole right uh so i only think hall of justice but the fact that they had two headquarters uh, well you know bruce wayne so yeah it's it's okay though uh there there was a a gag in the death of superman animated film that came out in 2018 where they're (laughs) taught they're having a meeting of the justice league and they're actually talking about the budget uh, and Bruce Wayne's like, I got it covered. And Wonder Woman makes a gag that her merchandise is doing very well, so maybe she can make up his shortfall. <laughs> it's this total dig at Batman. Uh, so I'm just guessing that they just had all this money uh, to uh, to throw around to have two amazing headquarters. But yeah, that I love the fact that they're both there. That that it's it's kind of like we were talking about Crisis before. Everything matters. Everything connects. Yep, everything yep. exists. Yeah. So. It's it's really it's fun again. It just and it's so great to see Ramona Freight and draw these characters. She never got to draw very much. Green Arrow, elongated man, like she never really got a chance at that too much. She she basically did the Aquaman strip and then she did Plastic Man and then went on to Super Friends. So this was it's cool to see these deeper bench characters as drawn by one of the one of the great artists. And so and then I love the sequence where Adam relays the message to the Super Friends and then we see the World Beater rise up behind him and the Super Friends are like Adam behind you, watch out! And I I just think that's such a great this big face just comes up behind the atom and it reminds me of like a Godzilla movie you know I mean it's all of a sudden this massive creature rising up out of the thing that's just it's great and we never see what happens to the atom because the screen just goes haywire after that I just I love that sequence to me I can hear that dramatic music sting like you know as the world beater's head rises up behind the atom it's great probably Stanley Ralph Ross doing the voice yeah of them. exactly it's just it's I don't know I love it it's fantastic and so then world beater as I said he arrives and he immobilizes all the super friends pretty easily mm-hmm. and then it's Wendy and Marvin who who do the trick and I mean you know as you said it's like that's kind of the the, the gist of the super friends is that they're training these super uh, you know these young kids and so the young kids are going to get more to do uh, I mean, I know that I've railed on and on about how much I hate Snapper Carr, and though so much of those Justice League stories are like, oh, we're all defeated, except Snapper Carr figures out a way to defeat 
Starro because he snapped his fingers and he's an idiot. And and I don't know why I find it more charming in Wendy and Marvin than I did with Snapper, but I kind of do. I just sort of do. Uh, and so I like that you know Wendy Marvin saves the day. I love Wonder Woman. Um, Green Lantern is trapped in that yellow. Uh, the, the, the yellow coma and Wonder Woman gets him out of it by rotating her lasso. Over. And I just love the way Ramona Frey just draws Wonder Woman standing there, legs akimbo, like practically standing over Green Lantern, just Geo will be fine now. And I can hear that Wonder Woman animated voice as she does. Mm-hmm. It. She just looks very proud as she's standing there helping Green Lantern out. I think it's just, it's just wonderful. Yeah. There was another panel where Superman's fighting the world beater and there's three, different images in the in the one panel of yes. them going at it. That's great. And, and I thought it was just this beautiful way of showing one, how fast Superman is because they don't really play up his speed very much. It's usually a flash effect, but just the fact that he's just like, you know, hammering into this guy and it's just not doing anything again. I was just like, this guy's a legit threat. This mm-hmm. is, this, this isn't just somebody that comes in and knocks everybody down. They actually have to, uh, to fight to uh, to bring him down at the end. Uh, I am disappointed because if, if you're going to have, a, as a Superman guy, there are people I look up to in terms of uh, I'm never going to be that uh, in terms of knowledge about the character. It's like, you know, I'm never going to be Mark Wade. It's just not going to happen. And I'm definitely not going to be E. Nelson Bridwell because that is the man that had the entire Krypton. He created the Kryptonian alphabet in pre-crisis. <laughs> wow. He knew all the moons. He knew all of their fates. Just he had this all in his head. So Superman at the beginning of the story says uh, Kryptonian babooch. Oh, he keeps trying and, to make that phrase happen, like fetch or something. It's it, not going to happen, Superman. But I was just like, what is a babooch? And to and I know in my heart that Enos and Bridwell knew what it was. Oh, sure, sure. I looked in the Great Superman book by Michael Fleischer. I scanned the internet. Uh, The only thing I didn't do was dig out my Kryptonian Chronicles miniseries (laughs) from the early 80s because it's just – I had a long week. And (laughs) I just – I just can't find out what this is, and now it's kind of consuming my life. Like, like I want to know what a babooch is. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that he's referring to some weird animal uh, on yeah. Krypton, but I don't know what it looks like. But I've seen him use it enough times where I'm like, again, he really keeps trying to make that his phrase. And it's like, <laughs> it's, Superman, it's not, it's not happening, buddy. But Superman, I'm gl- stick to Great Scott or Great Krypton. Great, yeah, exactly. Great, great Rayo. I mean, something. <laughs> it just, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that panel where you see Superman three times. That is a nice effect. And I love that. That it, I mean, unless you know, I mean, everybody knows that Superman has super speed, really. But, I mean, there are no motion lines to really mm-hmm. suggest that. Like, it's not like what they did with the Flash where you could tell, oh, I say he's going really fast. But I like that Ramona Frey just does that. It's like, okay. And, of course, you know, I'm always a little – I'm always hypersensitive to Aquaman getting dispatched too quickly. Here he gets one panel and World Beater just freezes him. But it doesn't bother me because Batman and Robin both get taken out in one panel, and it's Superman and Wonder Woman that get a couple of panels mm-hmm. uh, that last a little longer. And of course, because they're Superman and Wonder Woman. I mean, of course they're going to last a little longer. So it doesn't bother me. I, I never felt that ENB had any sort of uh, – he, he regarded all the Super Friends as equals, so it's fine with me that Aquaman got taken out so quickly. He'll get his moments in, in later issues of the series. But, I mean, I like that Superman and Wonder Woman, they don't last long against World Beater, but they last a little longer. Yeah, which, which is how it should work. I love the shot of Wonder Dog going into battle 
Oh, he just gets his uh, paws up. He rough. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's like like that. I've seen that look <laughs> on my dog's faces many times. Uh, but I love he actually does pretty well. Yes. I'm I am shocked, and the fact that he shoves his face into the ground mm-hmm. as a distraction. I was just like, hey, yeah, you know, he does deserve a T bone steak after that. You know, <laughs> like if I saw something take out Superman and Wonder Woman, I'd be like, yeah, guys, this is great. But, oh, look at the time. Yeah, I know I'm not wearing a watch, but I have just got to get out of here. I I have got – I am just buried in paperwork. Yeah, I got a, I have many college courses I have to attend here. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that moment, though, after you mentioned Wonder Dog smashes World Beater's face into the ground. And he gets somebody who goes, I'm not hurt, but I'm angry. <laughs> what a weird little detail to say. Like, who's he talking to? I don't know. I really like to – I really dig this World Beater. Uh, the one question I do have is, like, what happened to Dr. Indrum? Like, uh, he got he arrested. Just, d- d- does he? Did they say yeah, that? Yeah, they, they mentioned it. Um, I'm going to find it because I think Batman or somebody mentions it that he had been arrested. Uh, I must have missed that. I don't miss the story about Dr. Indrum because I kept wondering. I'm like, well, what happened to the – like he gets away with it. I don't understand. I must have missed it somehow in the story. That's, I'm vamping. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's my fault too. I just said I read this comic, but yeah, no, it's it's. I, I swear to God, I read a panel where oh, it's it's on when he first gets to the to the to the Hall of Justice. He goes, "I have more powers than you ever dreamed of," which is a total villain line. Yes, I am the world beater. You know nothing about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, he's a hipster too. <laughs> um, and Superman goes, I do. The cosmic police alerted me after they arrested Dr. Oh, I know. oh there it is. And he oh. confessed how he created you. Uh, you're nothing but a Frankenstein monster created from the dead. Wow, Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I could, How did I miss God, You know, the Super Friends is a little too sophisticated for me. I think I need to... Uh- you need to work on some of my remedial courses. I missed that level. Well, then, well, now I feel very good that Dr. Indrum's been arrested. Because I was like, he shouldn't get away with it. Like, he created, he, he murdered a bunch of people and got away with it. So, but he didn't get away with it. So, okay, thank goodness. All right, I feel, uh, I feel much better. There's a weird art detail that I noticed. And it, it, it stood out because this is an era where even in animation, Superman would still have the yellow S on his cape. Mm-hmm. But Ramona Freyden doesn't draw it. No, there's no S at all on Escape. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. I mean, uh, you know, they, they, I, I, I like to make fun of people whose jobs I don't understand. So I always say that, oh, just too lazy to animate that S on the cape, you know, in CGI. And it's probably really complicated. Maybe uh, so. She I, may not have I, even I, known it was there. I mean, yeah. you know, she didn't really draw him that much. So maybe she didn't even know. But it's funny because I, I, I sent you uh, in a message uh, a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine in Australia got these little golden books of Superman. Oh, right, right, right. And he sent me pictures. He's like, have you ever seen these? And I'm like, I'm sure I have. But, you know, Superman merchandise in the late 70s was ubiquitous. Uh, and as he was sending me pictures, I noticed that there was art credits. I'm like, oh, Ramona Freyden did a series of superman storybooks for little kids that's awesome yeah. uh so she does a really good job with him uh she does a good job with everybody yes. really yeah. um it, it is it is very much of its time and i think that makes it perfect yeah yeah it said it's it, it you could see this being an episode of the show 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I mean, in fact, it's a damn shame that the world beater did not get included in the, into the cartoon because he's got a great visual and you know he's just a robot. And of course, you could just beat the crap out of a robot all the time, which is great. So uh, as far as I know, we never see the world beater again. That's it. And so um, after a another text piece by Ian Nelson Broadwell, where this time he talks about there's still no letters for the book. So he just goes through the uh, quick trip of the origins of all the characters and talking about how basically all the different super friends – uh, have been trained since a child to be a superhero, mm-hmm. so that's how they're going to. That's how they're why they're going to be good at training Wendy, Marvin, and, and Wonder Dog, which I thought was a nice. I didn't really think about that until he said, it. "I was like, yeah, I guess it's kind of right." Bruce Wayne, you know, from a young age, uh, we we all know what happened there, and Wonder Woman and Superman was Superboy and Aquaman trained. So yeah, they all really, you know, these all they all became superheroes kind of early. That was their trajectory in life. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a fun episode. And so regarding the um, the villains. I have two questions I'd like to ask my guests, and I'll, I'll reverse it since we're here at this moment. So, the villain roundup, Michael. Uh, okay. Is what is there any villain in this comic that you think could have made it in the comics outside of the Super Friends? Do you think there's anyone that you would have liked to have seen continue to go on? Uh, Anti Man, definitely. Uh, just as a just a visual of being a negative effect, basically. Like, you could have made him a Batman villain, you could have made him a Flash villain, you could have made him a Green Lantern villain. He, he'd be a good utilitarian, a utility bad guy. Uh, not like a world beater, but somebody that, but not somebody that's in the background of a bar scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and I, I'm looking at, like, the list of all of these characters, like Thunderhead and Powerhouse, who looks like uh, Drax the Destroyer from the comics. <laughs> yes, he does. Um and the the traveler just looks like he bought a flash costume that was like made in China or something. <laughs> uh, like like these are all like th- turncoat, ultralight, fire lord, sub zero, bombshell. I mean, like did Bridwell just have a notebook of villain names? Those are all great names for villains. Yeah. <laughs> They're all good. But yeah, Anti Man is the one that stood out to me because it took Batman and Super Batman and Robin and Superman to take him out. That's what I had too. I and basically, mostly because of his visual. The visual is so cool that he's a, a negative. He's a reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just has such. A, yeah, you could definitely see him taking on, like you said, a lot of different DC characters. I thought he was really cool. And so, as far as I, I mean, E and B just tossed these characters out. And as far as I know, none of them really, except for some specific exceptions, which we'll get to uh, later on. You know, these characters. Lived in Super Friends, and then that's it. They never mm-hmm. appeared out of it. So these are all characters that DC owns that, uh, you know, some some writer could dig up and, and use again, but they just choose not to. So, yeah, I had the same answer was Anti-Man. So, uh, so the other uh, thing I want to ask you is the best friend. Who do you think – what hero came out the best in this story? Wonder Dog. <laughs> okay. I, I'm dead serious too. The fact that Wonder Dog took this guy on after one, Superman and Wonder Woman got and the entire team got taken on and he's just like, "No guys, I got this." <laughs> uh one, it's a total dog thing to do. Uh dogs tend to their reach often exceeds their grasp. That's true. In in terms of uh what they think they can take on. As I found out on many occasions with my late dog Boo, who would be all tough about the dogs at the dog park until they got really close to her, and then suddenly she's treeing up my leg. Um, but yeah, Wonder Dog, in, 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 in a, again, in an unironic type of way. 
I would I would say so. I put Wendy and Marvin, but that's kind of the same thing. Is that they, mm-hmm. you know, they the three of them really put it together, which is cool. Again, it's E. Nelson Broadwell's. We're focusing on these characters, but yeah, they get and everybody gets a good moment. But I liked Wendy and Marvin. They did a great job of figuring out, like, hey, wait a minute, the Anti Man. We can reverse the powers. Like, oh, very cool. We can reverse, reverse the polarity. And thank God, World Beater isn't very smart. I don't know what they did with him after this. Maybe they you know, took him apart or something because he is just a robot, I guess. And some is he a robot? I'm assuming. He's a robot, but maybe yeah, not. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would assume so. Um, I, I do have to ask, though, and, and it's nothing against Marvin, who I understand a lot of people hate, Chris Frank. Um, yeah, <laughs> but really, he could just use a Green Lantern ring. It's that easy. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like I like like people talk about like Mary Sue's and Gary Sue's. That's a that's a very Gary Sue type thing. <laughs> Um, in, in all honesty. Okay. Uh, all right. I, I can see that. Yeah. A, a little silly, but again, this is how episodes of the super friends ended. Exactly. You know, you had like the, the, the end music swelling up and, and, you know, Superman or Batman has to say something like, you know, to bring everything. And then there's a joke. It's like, it's like the, you could honestly see like, uh, Marvin going, it wasn't no tribble at all, captain. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, I said it's uh, it, it's it's a really fun story. Uh, this issue, this story was actually reprinted in DC Digest number three, the Super Friends Digest, which I covered not all that long ago with Sean Myers. And so, but this is an index show, so you know, I'm not cheating. We're gonna re- redo it again. But part of the reason I wanted to make this one, I mean, since I already talked about the story not that long ago, I wanted to make it more fun for myself is and once you said michael that you had never heard of a never read a super mm-hmm. comic I go, well this is perfect because somebody here's somebody coming to it completely fresh so now that you've read an issue of super friends do you want to read more i mean what, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah okay, i want to cool. i want to knowing that the global guardians eventually show mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. uh who always had a great visual appeal thanks to their who's who entry but yes. come on that who's who entry is writing a lot of checks <laughs> that i don't think that team could, could really cash but still it, it's one of those things where i'm at a point in my life where i just want to enjoy my comics mm-hmm. like i just want to enjoy my entertainment i don't want to get on twitter and become part of a tribe and hate something <laughs> Just so I could say I'm part of that group. I want to, and and since you know DC has basically said <laughs> your services are no longer required here as a buyer of our comics, I it, it's not a problem because I have literally like almost 80 years of comics before that to go and find new stuff to read. You know, I I literally cannot. I did the math, and I am not going to live long enough. Hopefully I'll live another like 40, 50 years, but still I'm not going to live long enough to read everything. So I want the stuff that I read to be stuff that I really enjoy. And I might be a little critical and I might be like, that's, that's a little wonky or man, Marvin using a green lantern ring. That's just, that's just not my thing. (laughs) But no, it's like one of those things where, yes, I, I, I will make this a priority at some point. I am hoping, are they still doing the hardcover? As far as I know, that has been, I think, put back on the schedule. It was taken off the schedule, but I think last time I heard it, it was back on. Because I'm telling you right now, and and this isn't going to turn into a diatribe on every way DC Comics is screwing up right now, but uh, Dan DiDio back during Comic-Con did make the statement that right now, like their dollar comics and their reprints are selling better hmm. than their current comics. Wow. Okay, now, then. 
I'm not going to go into the reasons for that because we're here to have a good time. But what I will say is if that's the case, maybe you ought to lean into that skid mm-hmm. because there is an uh, there are people our age and our generation uh, that would love a, a series of hardcovers or an omnibus or something of this material because this this is the part of the fabric of my youth. Like, I can literally not remember a time that I didn't watch the Super Friends if it was on. Like, if I was swimming through the channels and the Super Friends came on when I was a little kid, that's where my butt was parked for the next 30 minutes to an hour. <laughs> it, and it's just, just because it was all my favorite heroes and people that I didn't no- normally know that I later got to know by having superpowers figures. Right. So this is like, this is like, um, what is that? Patient Zero. <laughs> For my love of DC Comics. I have one question for you really quick that I want to get out of the way before I forget to ask it. So Enos and Bredwell didn't have to consult any notes to write that text piece, right? Probably not. That was all in his head. (laughs) I'm reading this and going, but what I loved about it is Enos and Bredwell is responsible for my love of learning about the history of Superman and Batman from his introductions in the two from the Superman from the thirties to the seventies and Batman from the thirties to the seventies. And this is something that is completely lost on the current generation because they can just go to Wikipedia right, right. or, you know, subscribe to a podcast, which is dodgy depending on the hosts, you know, <laughs> wanting to be uh, snarky or not. But when I was a kid, these text pages were everything. Oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. I, this is where you learned things like, yep. Like, I wouldn't have known Aquaman's origin, and I would have read that. I was like, oh, he was the son of a lighthouse keeper, and his mother was from Atlantis? That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love the uh, – yes, I love the DC text pieces. They, they, they were an essential part of my comic book reading. And you feel like you got a lot more for your value because they took so much longer to read on top yeah. of it. There's just a lot more text to read. Absolutely. I, I, want, a, I want a collection of these, and I want a collection of uh, Dick Giordano's Oh, the Meanwhile, meanwhile column. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. I remember that one. He's like, I just I got a script in this Batman comic back. Frank Miller can't wait to talk to him about it. Ooh, <laughs> what's that gonna be? So anyway, well, cool, well, excellent. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And maybe you know we have uh, we have other other issues of the series are already earmarked, but not them all. So maybe further on down the line, Michael, you can come back and talk about another issue of of Super Friends. Oh, uh, any any time to come and talk to you about comics, Rob. Very Seriously. cool. Thank you very much, my friend. So uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Uh, Fortress of Bailey2.com is the host of the Fortress of Bailey2 podcasting network, which has a very snazzy logo designed by a guy named Rob Kelly, uh, who did, uh, most of the lettering for me. Thank you. I'm not that good at graphic design yet. Um, but no, I, I've got a bunch of different shows, you know, from crisis to crisis, overlook dark night, uh, there's old shows like Views from the Long Box. Every once in a while, I do something I ripped off from the Fire and Water Network. I do the Fortress of Bailey 2 Showcase Presents, <laughs> and where recently we talked with two of my friends from Dragon Con about the 1979 Captain America. Oh, film. it's a fun episode. I love that yeah. one. I, oh, I do listen to that. So, it was a great show. That was really fun. We had so much fun talking. And that's actually what you got there is what panels are like at Dragon Con. All right. Well, that is okay. Seriously, like what what it's like is drag because we're just on the stage having fun and we're getting the audience involved and stuff like that. So just go there. There's like something like six hundred 
different episodes of shows <laughs> to choose from, so you'll find something you like. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that Captain America episode was a, was a whole lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. So anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I want you to stay tuned through this uh, commercial announcement. When I come back, I'm going to be unveiling a brand-new segment for the show for all mankind, so stay tuned. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I like Superman. Like, a lot. Like, he's my favorite character. I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. Back in 2017, I started a show called It All Comes Back to Superman, to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. Well, the monthly thing hasn't worked out, but I'm hoping to change that in 2020. This year, there will be at least one episode a month of the show, and most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for Everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues, like cosplay, or podcasting, or academia. New episodes will drop in the first or second week of the month, with special episodes popping up at random because that's how I roll, apparently. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey-Tube podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbailey2.com. The show is available through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and it's even on Spotify. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking to you. And welcome back. We are here for a very special segment, which I am calling For All Merch Kind. And joining me is my pal and super friend, Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going great. I'm very excited to be doing this segment. This is the inaugural segment of For All Merch Kind, where Chris and I will be focusing on a piece of Super Friends merchandise. Uh, And the reason uh, I, I... sort of calling this out on this show because of course the show is focused on the comic book but the reason i want to talk about this stuff is for those of you too young to remember that might be some of you is the super friends was not just a comic book and a cartoon show it was a merchandising juggernaut i mean in in an age you know right around kind of just before star wars uh this was really a huge thing where licensors realized if you could just slap the iconic Super Friends logo on a piece of merchandise, you would sell it. And over time, they would start using – merchandisers would put Super Friends logos like on stuff with just Batman on it, You know, which you think you could just sell it as Batman merchandise. But no, the Super Friends brand was so strong that it started appearing on all sorts of stuff. And so there are literally – at the very least hundreds, maybe even thousands of products out there from the 70s into the 80s that featured the Super Friends logo. And I just thought it would be a fun fun little segment to do every – so often to talk about a piece of merchandise. And of course, for all of you know, uh, you listen to the network, Chris does the for uh, Where Did You Get Those Wonderful Toys shows on the network, which is one of my favorite things that we do. And so I thought it was just too perfect to, to, to not, I couldn't not have Chris on to talk about Super Friends merchandise. So Chris, thank you for joining me here at the Hall of Justice. Oh, no problem, Rob. And, and you know, the Hall of Justice is just up the road in Cincinnati from, from right. me. So, so <laughs> it works out fine. It's just like about an hour. So. <laughs> 
I would love to record in there, but it's probably very cavernous. You know, it's probably get a lot of echo or something. You have to put up those foam things or something just to get the sound better. Right. But uh, but uh, so before we talk about this specific piece of merchant piece of merchandise, which is going to be the 1977 Superfriend twin sheet set and fitted pillowcase, like did you have a lot of Superfriends merch as a kid? Well, you know, I had uh, I did have this uh this pillowcase uh and, and sheet set um i had the the lunchbox which you know we'll have right. to we'll we have to go that yeah we got to go in depth on that lunchbox at some point yep. so i won't go into it much here but uh yeah and i remember having like uh i remember there being those slipper socks that you get that like <laughs> they were like socks but they had like a harder sole like a like right, a with the little grips yeah, yeah yeah on the bottom of them and, and they were in like super friends they, they were on like a a little header card uh, with mm-hmm. the Super Friends mm-hmm. on it, and and I had remember I had, I had Batman ones, I had Superman ones over the years, and and I think there's even a picture of me in a pair of uh, of uh, some kind of superhero pajamas with those slipper socks on. <laughs> so That's yeah, awesome. yeah. I mean, I, I had you know I, there was there was there was a lot of merchandise that just said superheroes that sometimes yep. had the five Super Friends, which was weird. And there was mm-hmm. then there was merchandise that was just Super Friends. I had the coloring book, that awesome coloring book that looks like. Yeah, the, the most faithful coloring book ever created, I think. Of I mean, pretty much, yeah. It's it's the, the exact model sheets, the Alex Toth model sheets. But I mean, yeah, I had quite a quite a few uh, Super Friends pieces of merchandise. I mean, and like you said, I mean, it just it, it. I don't know. There was just something special about when you saw the animated versions of them on merchandise. It just I don't know. It was just more like it's not quite the same as like, you know, in the nineties, there was Batman merchandise and there was Batman, the animated series merchandise because mm-hmm, there was definitely mm-hmm. some comic art crossover, but it's still, it was just a little, it's just a little extra special when it had that super friends branding on it. Oh yeah. And they believe me, some of the stuff we're going to get into over these segments is going to be, is going to amaze you guys. Uh, Cause there is some really obscure items that they managed to slap super friends logo. stuff that you're like, what, what did, what's the connection to that? But it, there is no connection other than the licensor probably had X toy lying around uh, in a warehouse. And they were like, well, if we just slap a, a super friends header card on this, we can move a couple of these. And I think that's kind of the idea here. Right. Um, but, that is not the case for this uh, twin sheet pillowcase set because this thing is really pretty sweet. Um, Chris, why don't you describe the, the main piece, which is the pillowcase of and, and the group shot? Well, the the pillowcase is uh, the, the, there's two different. We should say there's two different sheet sets, which I guess we'll get into. But yeah, the uh, the the one that I had as a kid uh, features the five main super friends. Uh, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Robin, plus. Uh, Wendy, yes, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog, yes, Marvin, right. Marvin's on this, and also uh, the Flash, who was a guest star in season one of Super Friends, plus Green Lantern and Hawkman. Yeah, <laughs> and, but, I love this stuff. Like, why is Hawk? I mean, I love Hawkman, but why is he on there? I know this was before Hawkman, Green Lantern, and Hawkman joined the the greater uh, Super Friends in the team up segments in the uh, the next season, the all new Super Friends Hour. But uh, this was, you know, this was actually when, you know, while season one was still airing in perpetual reruns and because Wendy and Marvin are on it, obviously. And and uh, they're in the uh, the Toth, uh, you know, the famous Toth pose that you saw on the cover of the the Treasury edition. um, And but they've just added in Green Lantern, Flash and Hawkman into the into the image and spread the characters out a little bit. I, I mean, I wonder why they felt the need for that, really, because I mean, it's like the, the the five heroes plus Wendy Marvin and Wonder Dog are kind of enough. 
Like I, I did. I mean, I'm glad that they are they're on there because as a kid, I always enjoyed seeing the other characters. But I just wondered why whoever designed this thing thought, well, we need to have a couple more characters on it. I mean, maybe because maybe because of the pattern that we're gonna get on get on uh, to in a second that they needed. They just felt like they needed more variety. But it, it's just it's just unusual to see them on there. Yeah, I think that I think that's what it was. I think the the sheet set uh, design <laughs> dictated who was on the pillowcase. <laughs> I guess so. Now, so we should explain. So the sheets, and by the way, there will be pictures uh, of these uh, of the sheet set uh, on the website, uh, along with I- uh, images from the comic book, which we just talked about earlier, over on fireandwaterpodcast.com. And so on the uh, the sheet set, it's it's just a series of stock images repeated with the logos, and it's a real mixture of stock art because you've got the Neil Adams Superman where he's bursting through the chains. Uh, you know, that classic pose with his logo and stuff. And then you've got, you know, you've got Batman and Robin, which is clearly, I think, one of the Carmen Infantino poses yep. of them running. Yep. Uh, so you got that. You've got the Murphy Anderson Aquaman where he's doing that. He's swimming up and he's like turning into a U-shape. The Wonder Woman is the shot of her. I don't know. Can you know? Do you know who drew that? The, the shot of her running, throwing the lasso? You know, I've, I've actually got like I went and did some research where these come from. That one has always stumped me. I It feels like to me it's drawn by Dick Giordano. Uh, okay. I, I kind of feel that's that's a uh, his face. She looks. Uh, she always looked very angry in that. In yeah, she that, does look angry. Yes. She looks very ticked off in that pose, and it was used everywhere in the seventies. And I, I know it was used on a puzzle that shows um, her coming out of a bank vault that, like, some criminals I guess have blown this bank vault. And Wonder Woman was waiting inside for him, and they've got all these guns pointed at her. And I think that's from seventy seven as well. So it may be. It may have originated there because I know Dick Giordano did draw some some other uh, puzzle, like original art for puzzles. Like there's one where Superman's punching a shark, which I'm sure was inspired by Jaws. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, so it might have came from there. But, yeah, I've always – that one's always kind of stumped me because they, you also see the Murphy Anderson uh, one of Wonder Woman uh, that's like on the Pepsi glass where she's running with her lasso over her head. But it's much more right, of a right. – kinder gentler wonder woman image this wonder woman looks like you know you have just totally ticked her you scuffed the invisible plane or something i don't know what you did <laughs> if that's if that's even possible but uh yeah right yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've never been able to, to peg that one myself uh, the hawkman image is clearly cribbed from a comic book yeah uh, because the the pose he looks like he's being like he's got his arm up it's not the most heroic pose in the world he's kind of like it looks like he's kind of uh, like, ugh. like, <laughs> like he's kind of flinching a little bit. I mean, yep. he's got the mace in his hand, but it's 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 not the most iconic shot of Hawkman they ever could have used. Right. I can give you the breakdown if you'd like the breakdown. Uh, uh, Superman was from, as you say, that's Superman number two thirty three, Kryptonite Nevermore. You know, with the chains <laughs> busting by Neil Adams. Uh, Flash uh, running with his hand outstretched. That's from Flash one sixty five. Uh, artwork wow. is credited to Murphy Anderson. Uh, from 1966, that's the one where he's trying to stop Iris from marrying Professor Zoom, who is disguised as Barry. Um, Green Lantern punching, which is a really weird pose for Green Lantern. He's not making yeah. anything with his power ring. Uh, that's from Green Lantern number 42, also from 66. That's by Gil Kane and Murphy Anderson. A lot of Murphy Anderson on this on these sheets set. Uh, that's part of the Zatanna, uh, Zatanna's quest storyline. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Right. And then the Hawkman, uh, that's from Hawkman number 10. 1965 by Murphy Anderson. So, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And then Wendy Marvin and Wonder Dog are also on here. 
and their poses are clearly, uh, I, I believe, Ramona Fraden uh, artwork. I, that, that's what it looks like to me. And they even get their own little logos. And then Wonder, except for Wonder Dog, who does not get his own. It says "Ruff" over his head instead of Wonder Dog for some reason. <laughs> I think I remember as a kid because I, I've seen these episodes, but like I saw the Super Friends like the the first season when it was first. Well, toward the end of its first airing, but I didn't really recall it so well. And then it was a few years before those episodes made it into syndication and they started, you know, stripping them in the afternoon. And I remember briefly wondering if what was I couldn't remember what the dog's name was. And I think I thought his name was rough or something because everybody else, <laughs> everybody else's logos above their head. Right. So it's like yeah. his name. Ruff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, you know, why they didn't have a Wonder Dog logo ready, I have no idea. So, now this is the set that you had, right? This is the one you had right. as a kid? Yep, this okay. is the set I had. My, my kids have used it. I've still got it. I, I can't Aww. find it right now for this the use of this show, but my kids have used it on their beds. Uh, it, Danny still got a twin bed, so it would fit her bed. So, you know, if when, when something spills on the sheets or something, you know, occasionally the kids will break out Super Friends sheets or old G.I. Joe or mask sheets that I still got, you know, so. <laughs> Those are pretty durable, man. I mean, th- this set is 40 years old at this point. It's still, it, it's not so threadbare that you can't keep using it. That that says a lot for the quality. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's that 70s polyester. I don't know what it is, but maybe. <laughs> are the, how are the colors? Are they still kind of vibrant or are they have all faded just from the sheer many times you've had to wash it? Um, I think the the fitted sheet is still pretty vibrant. The uh, wow. the actual sheet sheet is a little is a little uh, uh, faded, but it's still you know it still looks pretty good, honestly. But yeah, the fitted sheet's very very vibrant. That's that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Now I never had this as a kid, and it must have simply been because I never saw it. Because if I had ever seen it in a store, I would have been like, I have to have this. You know, I mean, it just would have been all over my parents uh, to get me this. So I must have just never seen it. And then by the time 78 came along, I had Star Wars sheets and that was the end of that. So, I mean, right. but but I wish I had had this because, I mean, it's 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 great. I mean, it's just it's everything you want. It's the Super Friends. It's the logo. It's Aquaman. I mean, it's got, again, it got Hawkman or whatever. So, you know, that's really cool. I just would have loved – I just would have – use this thing every day now uh if you think putting hawkman on a sheet set is obscure uh we have to talk about the other sheet set (laughs) that exists and this one does not feature uh solo shots of the super friends it does feature that same super friends shot of all of them plus green lantern uh hawkman and flash but it features some other characters so chris why don't you tell everybody the who the other characters are in this uh, other sheet set. Right. The sheet set uh, repeats the Super Friends pillowcase image uh, several times, but intermingled with that, alternating, is a super villains group shot that is basically like if the Flash and the Batman rogues gallery had a convention <laughs> together. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You got Mirror Master, Poison Ivy, Penguin, Trickster, Professor Zoom, the Reverse Flash. Sitting casually on a couch, you have Captain Boomerang and the Pied Piper, Heat Wave, Catwoman, the Joker, and Captain Cold. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is that boggles the mind. Now, I, this piece of artwork comes from, uh, or maybe it doesn't come from, maybe it's the other way around, but if, if, if these poses, when, again, if you see these poses, uh, on the uh, website, and they look a little familiar. 
this is similar. Or so the artwork is similar to a uh, double page pinup from Limited Collector's Edition, uh, The Secret Origins of the Supervillains. And there is a, uh, in the centerfold, there is a rogues gallery of supervillains pinup, and it features this same artwork. You see Poison Ivy and Captain Cold and uh, Trickster and, uh, um, excuse me, um, Captain Boomerang and the Pipe Piper sitting on that couch. Except it's been redrawn slightly where on the sheet set, or on the, excuse me, on the pillowcase, like Mirror Master is over on the left. But here on the on the pinup, he's over on the right. He's actually behind the Pied Piper. So I'm guessing that Dick Giordano, he's probably the artist behind this, uh, at least some of it. Dick Giordano drew maybe these poses separately on separate pieces of paper, and then they were all statted together and moved around to where they needed to be moved around. Because, like, on the sheet set, you've got Catwoman standing between Joker and Heatwave. But on the pinup, Catwoman is actually lying on the ground with her cat of nine tails. Right. So I don't know whether the artwork was done for the sheet set, and then they put it in this pinup and then expanded it, or the other way around, where they did the pinup first – and then they scaled it down for the pillowcase because on the pinup, you've got all the characters that Chris just mentioned, plus uh, Mr. Element. Kids love Mr. Element. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gorilla Grodd, Scarecrow, uh, Blockbuster, Terra Man, everybody's favorite. Um, uh, the uh, a bunch of Shazam villains, the Savannah family. You've got another. You've got um, Toy Man sitting on a rocker. Mrs. Mix, Mr. Mixes Pitalik, the Riddler, Ray Shagul, and Talia, <laughs> Black Adam, Ibac. Lex Luthor, uh, King King Call, I think was that guy's name. So it's, I mean, it was all focused on the the characters that are um, the villains that are in this particular treasury. But it's fascinating to me whether was this done first or was it the merchandise first? I will never know. Well, going back a little bit further, there is a '60s pinup by Infantino, Carmen Infantino, and Murphy Anderson of the Flash Rogues that is, I think, the original basis for this because you've got. I couldn't find what issue it was from. If you if you look up Flash Robes Gallery pinup, you'll find it. But uh, it shows uh, Captain Boomerang and Pied Piper sitting on a couch just like this. Uh, okay. Reverse Flash is is directly behind them, and so is the Trickster. And I think uh, I think just like you said here, the the figures of Mirror Master and uh, um, Captain Cold have been moved around some, but. Yep. So, yeah, everybody keeps reusing. I, I guess that was like the original iteration of that, and they just keep updating it and redrawing right. it with, with <laughs> new characters in it. It's like, hey, if it worked once, it'll work again, I guess, you know. So, uh, which, you know, you, you got that a lot in the, in the you know, you, you get the original Carmine Infantino uh, image of Batman and Robin, you know, running or him swinging on that rope with him kind of waving. And then every once in a while you'd see a Dick Giordano redraw of that too. Mm-hmm, so they just, mm-hmm. they just did that a lot back in the, in the seventies. So yeah. <laughs> and on the, in the, the pinup in the treasury, the Mr. Mix's Pitalik pose appeared it on the Mego box. So they, they got a lot of use out of all these things. I mean, again, it was that right. was what you did back then is you had, you had one of your stock artists. I mean, in, over at Marvel, it would have been John Romita uh, doing these classic poses, and then you just reuse them ad infinitum. So it makes sense, you know. You're not going to commission a new artist to draw the stuff when you have it all lying around. But it is kind of a weird choice that all the villains for the sheet set are just Flash and Batman. There's no, <laughs> there's no Superman. There's no Cheetah. I mean, no Superman villains. No Cheetah. No like I know this was stretching it, but like no Black Mana. 
or, or anybody. It's really much, as you said, it's just like the Flash and the Batman rogues gallery having a convention together. Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the earliest pieces of merchandise that's got Poison Ivy on it, because she actually yeah. wasn't a very big villain at the time. No, uh, no. You know, maybe maybe her inclusion in the Super Friends comic kind of, kind of you know, uh, that you guys just covered, maybe that kind of, uh, you know, gave her a little leg up uh, here. We don't... So to speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's also interesting to see that, you know, like, of the, of, in the classic era of the Super Friends, about the only two characters that are gonna, like, actually show up uh, on here or, well, no, just Captain Cold, I guess, because, yeah, the, the, the Riddler's not here, so you got, um, yeah, Captain Cold will make it on the challenge of the Super Friends, but I'm scanning here and I'm thinking... Later on in the superpowers era, Penguin and Joker show up, but I don't think the other other characters ever do. So he's the only one that actually makes it on screen. Captain Cold in the 70s is only it's the only character villain that ever shows up on the show. (laughs) Weird. That's very, very strange. Uh, So I'm going to ask you, Chris, as a kid, if you had seen both of these sets, would you would have preferred the one that you had with the with the uh, the stock art of the superheroes or would you wanted the one with the, the villains and the heroes? You know, I think I actually would have kept the one I had. I mean, I like the villain. The, the, I, the, the Nowadays, I'd probably go for the villains one. But as a kid, I never, I, I was never one of those kids that liked the villain better than the heroes. I mean, I, I, I liked the villains to a point. I, you know, I mean, I wanted, if it had a Batman villain on it, I wanted it or, you know, or whatever, but so they could, you know, fight him or, you know, but, but, right, yeah. but, but I didn't, I wasn't one of these kids that actually, you know, liked the, the Joker more than Batman or anything like that. So yeah, I would have went with the, the one I had, I think. Now if the, the pillowcases, you could like just have the pillowcase that you could flip that had one, you know, super friends on one side, <laughs> villains on the other. And then the, the sheet set, if I could combine them, then yeah, I'd take There that. you go. There we go. The best of both worlds. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would, that actually would have been the best way to do it. Cause then you get the variety of the heroes on your sheets, but then you get the pillowcase. Whenever, if you're in a bad mood, you lay on the pillow villain side. If you're in a good mood, you lay on the super friend side. So, uh, so yeah, it's a really cool set. It's a really fun. I love that this stuff exists. And like I said, I am really excited to dip into the world of super friends merchandise in further installments, because like I said, there's just so much out there and there is some crazy stuff. Uh, and I, so I really am excited to talk about. It. So Chris, thank you for joining me for this inaugural segment, inaugural, hard, tough word to say. Uh, segment of For All Merch Kind, and I'm looking forward to doing this uh, in future episodes. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited, Rob. And in fact, you know, I've sent you a list of stuff I've got in my own collection, and, and we've talked about it, and, and, and I really appreciate you having me on. I, I love the Super Friends. I love the comic. I'm looking forward to actually getting to talk about some of the comics with you as we as we go along, too. And this is a great show. I've really, really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm, I'm just tickled pink to be a part of it. Thank you. And yes, of course, Chris will be a guest on the uh, main episode where we talk about a comic very soon coming down the line. So, Chris, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you here on the network? Uh, you don't have to look very far. Yes, I'm on the Firewater Podcast Network. I host uh, GLU Cast with my wife, Cindy. I host Superman Movie Minute with Rob. Do Batman Nightcast with Ryan. Cindy and I also do Supermates. I do those wonderful toys on FW Presents when I get a chance, and I'm all over. I'm all over the network. I'll show up somewhere. I'm get, get, Once a week, I'll probably be on one show. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Again, again, thanks for, for stopping by. I want you to stay tuned because we're going to play another uh, commercial break. And when I come back, we're going to do listener feedback. 200 years ago, his country was founded. He's an American, but he's forced to live in a slum. 
many of us are better off. That's why the God we worship expects us to help one another. Join with others at your church or synagogue and make this world better. Welcome God to America's Bicentennial. Practice what you pray. And we're back, and this is part of the show I call Super Fans, where I read the feedback from all of you from the previous episode of the show, from the comments from the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. But first, I want to read a couple of iTunes reviews. We have new iTunes reviews, which is so exciting. So first up is a five-star review from Mark Lack. He says, Super Friends, the comic. My love for the Super Friends knows no bounds, uh, but because this comic came out a few years before I fully started collecting, it passed me by. I'm excited to now be able to follow along issue by issue with this podcast, as usual with Rob Kelly. A fun time is had by all. So grab your favorite sugary cereal and settle in for some fun. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate that. And we've got another five-star review from Coffee and Comics, which would be my pal Clinton Robinson. He says, the Super Friends show you never knew you needed. Are you a fan of the old school Super Friends? Darn right you are. But did you read the Super Friends comic? Well, whether you did or not, this is the show you've dreamed of. Rob Kelly shares his ever-present love for the amazing Super Friends comics with the audience, and you might just learn something along the way. You won't be sorry. Thank you so much much clinton i really appreciate it. thank you clinton thank you mark for those reviews that is just wonderful uh it is so awesome to have new itunes reviews because you know i don't know if i mentioned this in previous episodes but there is another show called for all mankind it's a tv show uh that's on i think it's the apple uh streaming channel it's about uh, the space race and so if you plug for all mankind into apple Podcasts or just i just itunes in general uh you you get that first. Uh, and so, you know, it's just kind of the weird timing that I happened to name it that. So uh, getting the show, uh, some five-star reviews is really going to help it get noticed. So thank you so much for those reviews. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. So as I said, let's move on to the comments from the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And this is on uh, issue two of uh, the series, Trapped by the Super Foes, where my guest was Sean Myers. Comment from uh, Doug Van Diver says, Toy Boy looks nothing like how I remember his design from issue number one. Is this one of those Mandela effects I keep hearing about? I had no idea what Doug was talking about, so I went back and looked, and he's right. Uh, Toy Boy is designed – his costume is completely different than it was in the first issue. In the first issue, he kind of looks like Bucky of Captain America and Bucky. And then in issue two, he just looks like a junior version of the Toy Man. I don't know what happened there. Um, that seems amazing that Enelson Birdwell would have missed that because he's so so hyper uh, to those details. Uh, but but nevertheless, yeah, maybe – or maybe you – know, he came up with some other – there's probably some story somewhere where Enos and Birdwell comes up with a reason why his costume is different. But yeah, good catch, Doug. I, I completely missed that. It's amazing. Uh, Mark Ross, a.k.a. Cluck Trent, says, thanks for doing the show. I was always a fan of the Super Friends, watching it on Saturday mornings and later after school in the afternoon. In fact, I got myself through some long days in junior high, but looking forward to going home and watching the Super Friends. I have now reseen most of the episodes and the seasons as an adult. I can remember watching season one with Wendy Marvin and Wonder Dog on Saturday nights on the Cartoon Network while feeding a bottle to our first daughter. She's now about to turn 22. But I have never read the comics, so I'm happy to be on board along the ride with you. Time to make some new memories around the Super Friends together. That's great, Mark. That's a that's a wonderful memory to, to sit there and watching Super Friends while taking care of your your child. That's 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 just wonderful, and I'm glad you're enjoying the comic. Uh, Edo Boznar says a wonderful conclusion to this two part show. It was at the edge of my seat for a month, wondering if those dastardly Super Foes and their sneaky kid companions will take down the Super Friends in only the second issue. 
Actually, after listening to your rundown of the story, I realized I had this issue. Previously, I thought the early Superfriend story I had read was the one from number three. That's this one. Reprinted in the Digest a few years later, which I mentioned. Uh, but I see I was wrong in that. Even when I listened to the first show, I had this deja vu-esque feeling that I had seen these evil sidekicks like Chick, Kitten, and Sardine somewhere before. But nothing in the gallery post looked familiar. Now, though, I definitely recall the cover and some of the pages you posted. So besides a great conversation, I have to thank you for jogging my memory. Keep up the great work. Uh, he also mentions a re- regarding Sardine. Unlike everyone else in the world, apparently, I'm kind of sad that Sardine never appeared again. Also, I'm surprised those evil teen sidekicks weren't used in the revived Teen Titans comic that was coming out around the same time as these issues of Super Friends. Yeah, that, that, that would have been kind of an – I mean I guess Chick and Sardine maybe a little too weak, but I guess you could have done – maybe it's the names. I don't know. <laughs> well, to Bob Rosakis clearly who was writing Teen Titans at the time didn't think they were worthy of inclusion. But, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame they never got seen again. Uh, Ward Hill Terry says, well, Rob has got me listening to podcasts about movies I've never seen, records I've never heard, so I might as well enjoy his podcast about a comic I've never read. Even though I neglected to write after the first one, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Wardhill. Uh, I've, I've long known about Enos and Bridwell's skillful weaving of DC history threads into the Super Friends tapestry, but I never bought the book. I had watched the Super Friends on TV, but in the summer of 76, I was 12 years old and wanted to be a serious comic book collector. Uh, I couldn't have known it then, but those kinds of cross-title continuities are some of the things I loved about reading superhero comics. And I was annoyed when there were inconsistencies. Finally, there were still three minutes left in the podcast as I arrived to work today. So I sat in my car to listen, and I was rewarded with the voice of Zoom with the sign-off. That will make each one of these For All Mankind shows a very special treat. Uh, thank you, Ward Hill, and um, thank you uh, thank you for the comment, and thank you for mentioning the Zoom sign-off. Uh, I'll give you guys a peek behind the scenes. Uh, when I launched this show, I made a request to everybody else on the network to record their own uh, a D- a DC a Fire & Water TV podcast sign-off. I wanted that, and I was going to rotate them. So, you know, I was going to have one with Max and one with Chris and Shag and, you know, Cisco and, and whatever. Uh, and, of course, uh, Zoom did his first because, of course, he did because that's who Zoom was. Uh, <laughs> I think – I literally think I got a, uh, three takes uh, of the sign-off uh, audio file probably a half hour after I asked. Uh, that's just who Zoom was. And uh, now that, unfortunately, uh, Zoom uh, is no longer with us, uh, I decided that um, Zoom is always going to sign off the show. So I'm not going to be rotating them. Uh, we're just going to use Zoom's sign-off. Because first of all, you can't beat Zoom's voice. And uh, to me, that's it'll make it'll just make me feel good to know that the, the, the every episode of For All My Kind wraps up with uh, my pal Zoom Yukonori. So thank you so much, Ward Hill, for, for mentioning that. I was glad I had a chance to, to tell that story. Uh, Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog says, thanks for another fun episode. I don't really want episodes by monthly honest. This is a big treat. I was also yelling, Atomic Skull! I love those EMB nods to the wider DCU. Heck, if you need anyone for the story featuring the Time Master reveal, dot, dot, dot. The Trouble Alert is my least favorite combined word ever. It always catches on the tongue. It should be Trouble Alert. I realize that misses the point, but it's so ugly. <laughs> favorite line of the episode, Batman gets knocked up by Chick. Yes, I am six. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Uh, Russell Bragg says, hey, Rob, you're really rolling now. You may not hear this from anyone else, but it doesn't bother me how long your synopses are. It was very entertaining, and you told me how everything I wanted to know when I don't have the comic in my hand. I also believe you create yours from scratch without copying from someone else's source. I wish, I always wish I could have done that for my show, and I admire those who can. I really enjoyed the issue covered uh, and your coverage of it. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Russell. Uh, a couple things. First of all, Russell sent a a nice email into the Fire and Water uh, contact page. And I didn't read it in the last feedback just because uh, I never am sure when somebody writes me an email, whether it's for public consumption or not, because it seems more private. So, but, but 
be sure that if you send an email to the Fire and Water contact page, I do read it. And if you want it read on the show, just let me know in an email, and that way I know it's okay for uh, to be read here on the on the show in public. Uh, and then um, secondly, uh, in terms of the synopses, I did borrow a little bit of this one from uh, one of the DC wikis because I just was running out of time. Uh, I think I borrowed it when I did the digest uh, coverage of it with uh, Sean Myers again. Uh, but but so far, the first two issues, yes, have been originally written by me. And boy, they are labor intensive. E&B really put in a lot of work to these plots. And so just doing the synopses is a lot of hard work, but I also feel proud that I did it because, yeah, as you said, Russell, it's a unique thing. I didn't just take it from somebody else. So thank you for noticing. Uh, Chris Franklin uh, from our network, who, of course, you just hear, heard here on the show, he says, great wrap-up, gents. I'm glad Sean filled us on with Dr. Michael so I didn't have to. I had some fun of his earliest pre-atomic skull appearances and then actually got the comic where he went full-on evil. Leave it to Ian B to weave other DC title continuity into Super Friends. Of course, he was the assistant editor on Superman titles, so he had an in there for sure. Looks like, in addition to Aquaman missing his gloves, Honeysuckle decided to be a bit more modest this time. She traded in her floral pasties for a bushy, strapless bikini top, at least. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for, for noticing that. Can't help it. She's, she's a... Ooh, okay. Anyway, uh, Captain Entropy says, Super Friends the comic had even more DCU tie-ins and original characters than the TV show we enjoyed so much, and the resolutions didn't always involve reversing the polarity on some supervillain's gadget. It was better than the program that inspired it, and while it never made my must-buy list, I certainly had no problem picking up this kitty comic. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the ones I remember and getting filled in on the ones I missed. Having Sean's work on MASHcast, it's great to hear him here as well. One question on this fine episode. Rob, are you saying that Honeysuckle and Kitten had legs as intellectual properties, I mean? Uh, yeah, that was an unintentional uh, double entendre. Well, I guess it's not double entendre. Unintentional pun. But I, I did mean that in the more uh, metaphorical sense is that I thought the characters could have gone on to something, but the, they did not. But, yes, they also have very nice games or pins, as they say in England, I believe. Uh, my pal Paul Ken says, uh, a great second episode. I bought all the Super Friends issues off the stands like you, Rob. Uh, off the stands, but unlike you, Rob. I had a hard time imagining them on the same earth as the regular JLA. I was a little older, being 11 in 1976, and it was beginning to hit the age where I was supposed to be outgrowing comics. But even then, I bought and read every issue of Super Friends and still have them. I have not read them since they came out, so I'm determined to read along with this podcast. I really enjoyed number two, although I agree it was not as strong as number one, as Wonder Dog is not my jam. Anyway, it was great to read it and then hear you guys talk about it. I have to confess, I did not notice the lack of Aquaman's gloves. Looking forward to Ramona Frayden's art starting next issue. I bet she won't forget the gloves. True that, Paul. Thanks for a great new show. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you reading it. Uh, Sontaran says, uh, or Sontaran, I can never remember that. Sorry, Shang. Uh, he says, why would Aquaman need gloves? Have you ever handled coral underwater or formed kelp? Uh, yes, it is true. It makes no sense that Aquaman wears gloves, but he does. And so, you got to keep them on. So, sorry. Uh, Gothos Mansion says, I really enjoyed this show, guys. Thanks for your efforts. The reason Honeysuckle never returned is that Poison Ivy stole her outfit and wore it in Batman 367. And he provided an image. And the, I'll be dang, it is Poison Ivy wearing that outfit. I should apologize for remembering this, but I was only 12 when the issue came out. It was already sweet on Ivy. I guess someone else remembered it because there is an Ivy action figure of Ivy in the outfit. The figure is, well, not my favorite. I felt the need to add to my collection. And again, he sent an image link. And yeah, there is a Poison Ivy action figure of her in this exact outfit. And then finally, he says, uh, speaking of dogs, Rob, thanks for seconding my statement on adopting a rescue. If I may, I suggest you and Kelly attend an adoption event. You get to meet 
the dog first and see if its personality is a good match for you and your family. This is what I did. When I first picked up Molly, my dog, she would not go to anyone else. My friends at the event with me all joked that Molly really adopted me and not the other way around. Uh, yeah, I'm always happy to talk about the dogs and animals. I'm a big animal person, and I'm sure Kelly and I will be getting a dog at some point uh, this year. I think that was part of the she. I've had dogs, she's had dogs, and though we have the cat now, we're sure we'll be uh, adding to our family uh, at some point. So um, that is going to do it for the feedback on uh, from our website, firewaterpodcast.com. If you want to support the Firewater Podcast Network, you go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast and uh, – I make a pledge there, and one of the rewards you can get is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. And so if you really love For All Mankind and you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com and give us a pledge, and uh, you can uh, be mentioned on this show or any other show of your choice. So we really would appreciate it. helps keep the lights on. It helps keep uh, all of us doing what we're doing over there. So, again – Go over to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So that is going to do it for this third episode of For All Mankind. Big thanks to my pal Michael Bailey and Chris Franklin for stopping by. I hope you all enjoyed this first installment of uh, For All Merch Kind. We won't, we won't be doing it on every single episode, but it'll it'll appear pretty regularly because, uh, A, there's so much merch to cover, and I just love talking to Chris. So, uh, again, let, let us know what you think of uh, of that segment and uh, this issue that I talked about with, with Michael Bailey. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to For All Mankind. Join us next episode when we look at Super Friends number four, Riddles and Rockets. NFW-TV Podcast.